The other day, I took my two-year-old to church and promptly found out that it was a spoken service. No hymns, no singing, except from my son. And later he was telling me how much he wanted to sing and then said, but mama said those words. And I was like, what, what, what words? Be quiet. I'm Dr. Sarah Brisa, and this is Music in the Church, a podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. Today we're talking about congregational participation, active participation in church services. Our guest, Dr. Mary Catherine Lovery, is discussing participation specifically in the context of Roman Catholic Masses, but there is something really important here for all of us who want to participate fully in the services we attend and lead, to participate with our hearts and not just our lips. Church services can be incredibly distracting places, even if you aren't wrangling a toddler who is intent on testing out the sanctuary's incredible acoustics. Many people who listen to this podcast are leading church services, you're in the choir, you're, you're reading the scriptures, you're leading prayers, you're preaching the sermon. What does it mean for us to participate with our hearts? Forget the toddler, we're, we're adjusting a microphone, and whoops, that light didn't get turned on, and what was that last minute announcement, and we have a lot of housekeeping going on. Mary Catherine brings wisdom to this topic and draws us to the heart of worship, whatever that looks like for us in a given week. Mary Catherine Lovery is the Director of Music at the Athenaeum of Ohio, where she directs the music for their services and directs the musical training of seminarians. Side note, this is our second episode with someone who trains future priests. You can check the show notes at musicandthechurch.com 25 for a link to an episode with Harrison Russen talking about training Eastern Orthodox priests. One of the goals of the Music and the Church podcast is for us to learn about different questions, assumptions, and priorities. And one way of doing that is listening to people who come from different denominational backgrounds and different professional trainings. Mary Catherine's training is in music and theology. She holds a doctorate in music from the University of Notre Dame, and she also speaks from her own deep personal faith. Back to my toddler and his happy singing. There is some happy singing on this episode coming from a bunch of birds. We recorded this conversation back in the spring while I was still living in Cincinnati. I'm in St. Louis now. I was the interim organist at the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer, and Mary Catherine would come and practice on our lovely Jose Sinclair pipe organ, one of the few things I dearly miss about Cincinnati now that I'm in St. Louis. And yeah, there were a lot of very happy birds back in May while we were sitting in the Redeemer library and recording our conversation. You can find links to all the resources Mary Catherine and I mention in the show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 25. Here's Dr. Mary Catherine Lovery. Audience participation, like what does that mean, audience participation? Active participation. So I think probably the term to use would be congregational participation, right? Active participation. So this is a notion that's been around in church documents and then in conversations about church documents and sacred music since the beginning of the 20th century. It's initiated by Pius X in Trales Legitudini. This is 1903. And he wants to clean up liturgical music, particularly because operatic music has entered the sanctuary. Uh, you would have, you know, soprano soloists sort of warbling away at, at the offertory or what have you. Not particularly good music, right? It's sort of written in an operatic spirit, kind of has this, this kitschy quality. So he sees this happening, particularly in, in Rome, I think. And he says, no, you know, we need to get back to our roots. We, we need to, to revive a sense of the sacred. And he said that the, f the 
faithful's active participation in the liturgy is the the source of the Christian life. So their their roots in the Paschal mystery as it is celebrated in the Mass is is really kind of the the centerpiece of their spiritual life. So he's saying when they actively participate in it, it informs their entire Christian life. And so he, so he's emphasizing the importance of having appropriate sacred music that'll foster this mm -hmm. participation. So he requested a return to a return to the tradition of Gregorian chant. At uh, this time, the Abbey of Salem in France is uh, refurbishing and restoring the the tradition of Gregorian chant. They do this massive project to collect chant manuscripts and then create the Gregorian Missal, the Graduale Romanum. So this is a time in which there's a real revival of, of the roots of Catholic sacred music. Pius X also talks about Palestrina as an example of a composer par excellence of sacred music writing in the spirit of Gregorian chant. So anyway, by the time we get to Vatican II, Vatican, the documents of Vatican II pick up this language of active participation that began with Pius X and make it a center point in the reforms of the liturgy. So many of the forms that we see happen, many of the reforms that we see happen to the mass, the liturgy of the hours, have the, the idea that the faithful should be participating more. And then really we have to understand active participation in its, its most authentic sense as having two levels. There's the interior level and then there's the exterior level. Uh, for example, here's a, maybe a more banal example, but I was just practicing the organ and I caught myself several times thinking of what I was going to have for lunch, what laundry this I was going to do. Gonna be, you're gonna record. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What am I going to say to Sarah? And, I, and so I'm exteriorly participating in the music. My fingers are moving, but interiorly I'm not because my mind's wandering, right? So when we talk about participation in the liturgy, there's a, an interior focus that needs to happen first, right? So my, my mind, my heart, and my soul are ordered to the, the mysteries, the sacred mysteries of the liturgy. And then exteriorly, I'm crossing myself, I'm kneeling, I'm standing, I'm singing, right? Which is an exterior. You're praying together with the congregation. Exactly, exactly. And, oh. and it's, it's an exterior symbol of our of our inner participation. This is like every Old Testament. Um, you know, you you give me the sacrifices, but your heart isn't there. Yeah, exactly. You you you, exactly. you give your offerings, and you don't offer your heart. The the Pharisees yeah. are whitewashed tombs, right? Mm -hmm. They're playing lip service to the law, but their hearts aren't there. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. So this exactly. active participation, congregational singing, is part of it, but it's not the only thing. Like music is there, but it is not the only thing. We've mentioned you've mentioned sure. praying, kneeling. Those, those sorts of that's other, right. other acts that we have on the exterior. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's, it's, it's one of many things. Um, but I had several conversations with some, some priests and some seminarians at, at the FNAM about this. And I was saying, can we call singing sacramental? That is, it's, a sacramental is, you know, an exterior sign, something physical that directs us to the sacraments. So, for example... Uh, holy water is a sacramental mm -hmm. like we we can touch it we feel it we bless ourselves with it and it mm -hmm. orders us it reminds us of our baptism mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. holy water the sacramental of holy water is oriented to the sacrament of baptism mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we could say incense 
you know, it, we can see it, we can smell it, is a sacramental that orders us to the sacrament of the Eucharist, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it, our prayers going up like an oblation in the mm -hmm. sacrifice of the Mass. So I said, well, can something we hear be a sacramental? Mm -hmm. And generally when i was talking talking to my friends about it we said yeah yeah it can be you know a blessing is a sacramental you know mm -hmm. something that's uttered from the mouth and when we think about how singing is a symbol of the unification of the body of christ mm -hmm. right everyone singing together mm -hmm. i believe in one god singing the sanctus mm -hmm. participating in that wedding feast of the lamb mm -hmm. in heaven mm -hmm. you know the singing is really a sacramental that points us again to the sacrament of the Eucharist. It's it bespeaks our communion that we receive from communion with the Lord in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. You have a really interesting perspective drawing on church history and the lives of the saints and thinking about what that means for us today in terms of music in the church. And you mentioned, um, I was reading something you sent me earlier, you mentioned Saint Cecilia, mm -hmm. who's the patron saint of music, who wasn't a musician. Mm -hmm. and. And yet there's this really interesting, here's why music is, is connected to that. And could, you, could you talk to that? Sure. So as my friend put it, St. Cecilia is not the patroness of musicians because she was a grand coloratura soprano, right? She was a, a virgin martyr in the early church. And her we're talking very early. This is like the 200s. Yes. Yeah. Yes, very, very early. First couple centuries of the, of the church. And she was in so she's of noble birth so she's a she's a noble roman woman and she's engaged to a man named valerian and where we get this connection with saint cecilia is in the the biography of her life in the golden legend which mm -hmm. is a comp compilation of of the lives of the saints that priests would use for their preaching and and uh spiritual food for the faithful and it speaks of her as, so she's a Christian. She becomes a Christian and she desires to, to consecrate her virginity. That is to, to give herself completely to the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, for her, it was if her baptism wasn't enough, mm -hmm. right? She's baptized, but she's still, her heart overflows. She still mm -hmm. wants to do something more well, this for is, the Lord. This is something that Paul talks about in that it's like, oh, if yeah. you're married, you're also concerned about the things of the world. And if you aren't, if you're single, in a consecrated way, you can mm -hmm. wholly focus. Sure, yeah. I mean that—that's almost more like sort of a practical advice. Like, look at look at what you can do when you're not concerned with the things of yeah. the world, yeah. right? When you so, don't have a two-year-old. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, but this, like, on on a met, in a metaphysical sense, in a theological sense, what's going on? She's offering her entire life over once again as an oblation, yeah. right? It's it's mm -hmm. a it's an overflow of her baptism, mm -hmm. and then she's a martyr, so it overflows yet once again. Mm -hmm. Like she offers herself a third time, yeah. you know. And so the golden legend speaks of her at her wedding to Valerian. So she's she's forced into this earthly marriage. She's a it's arranged, you know, and so she's at her wedding, her wedding feast. And the line from the Golden Legend says, while the musicians played at her wedding, Cecilia sang in her heart only to God, O Lord, you know, keep me pure of mind and heart that I might not be confounded. Mm -hmm. So we have here two weddings in a sense. We mm -hmm. have the music of celebrating her marriage to Valerian, but the music in her heart is celebrating her 
her wedding to the lamb or Christ's mm-hmm. wedding of her, her participation in the wedding feast. And is this where the, the, the your thinking on active participation comes in because it's coming from her heart? Absolutely. And then it's exteriorized. That's right. That's oh. right. And, and a beautiful a beautiful analogy for the mass as well because her heart singing to Christ her participation in the wedding feast in heaven which is what the mass which is you know the mass is a window into that wedding feast it's our we're participating with the communion of saints every time we we go to mass so really that that story is it encapsulates our understanding of what it means to pray pray and sing the mass mm-hmm. um so yeah, so for yeah, that that that's a really beautiful way to think about it. Thank you for for mentioning it. But so Cecilia singing in her heart is really a model for what we for that interior element of participation in the mass, and from that comes the exterior participation uh, of the singing, the physical act of singing. Yeah, which follows. I mean, in our as Christians, we believe in the incarnation. Right. Uh, as John Paul II said, I am my body. It's mm-hmm. not even that I mm-hmm. have a body. It's that mm-hmm. when I lay my hand on somebody's shoulder, it's Mary Catherine touching this person. It's mm-hmm. not Mary Catherine's disembodied hand, mm-hmm. you know, flapping on someone's shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's all of me is in every physical mm-hmm. act. Mm-hmm. So so understanding understanding our baptism as an incarnational reality, we believe every interior action, right, will be followed by an exterior one as well, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, like out, out of the heart, everything flows. Or That's right. That This is where the, the fruits of the Spirit are. So sometimes when we're thinking about participating actively in a service and thinking about this in terms of music, we think, oh, that must mean I need to look happy or I need to mm-hmm. have this certain facial expression or some sort of emotional something as we're singing but you have a you have a different thought on that yeah in preparing for the the talk that you're looking at sarah i asked one of the the priests at the athenaeum how would you define joy right because um you know in the psalms it says make a joyful noise uh to the lord ring out your joy the joy is often connected with singing and with music and with liturgical music. And, you know, I guess I get frustrated because I've, I feel musicians have emphasized that and they've kind of watered down joy to mean you should look happy. Like mm-hmm. you, you should you, you should be wearing this, this exuberant emotion on your face at all times mm-hmm. while you're singing and while you're at mass, you know, we, we believe in the resurrected Lord. Why aren't you happy? It's a very smiley American version. Yes, of yes, it drives me crazy. American, it's, it's one very particular cultural, cultural um, iteration of what joy is. And for me, completely separated from reality, uh, you know, look at, look at the humanity that, that comes to mass every Sunday. You know, when I sing, I sing in my, my choir on Sundays and there's always this family that sits beneath me and their child is, is disabled for life. You mm-hmm. know, he's connected to a, a ventilator and mm-hmm. always will be. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this, this is a beautiful family. Like they're mm-hmm. always kind. They're always smiling. They're always, I, I believe they have joy in their lives, but I feel that the, the smiley Americanized, we should always, we should always be happy and wearing it on our face at mass. Mm-hmm. It discounts the, the element of the cross mm-hmm. of, of the suffering that 
is present in the people who show up to Mass, you know, and then the suffering of Christ who's pouring himself out again in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, and so the reason I wanted to know what is joy, because it seems to me it has to be something on a much different, a much, excuse me, a much deeper level than how we feel at this moment or that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think if you look at your life and you can kind of look back on a week and you say, you know, Monday was kind of a bad day and Wednesday mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, stupid things happened at work and, mm -hmm. you know, but you look back on it and you say, it was a good week. Mm -hmm. You know, not that bad things didn't happen, but there was a kind of steadiness of spirit or a kind of contentment mm -hmm. with which you went about the things of the day, with which you had dinner with your family mm -hmm. or, you know, did the everyday things of life um, that with a kind of emotional and spiritual maturity you come to delight in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a roller coaster. It's mm -hmm. not uh, skydiving. It's not a thrill a minute, mm -hmm. you know, but kind of a deep abiding a deep abiding contentment the peace of god which surpasses mm -hmm. all understanding mm -hmm. and to me joy abides on this kind of level mother teresa would talk about the joy in suffering mm -hmm. right i mean she's mother teresa so i mean she she talks about these things and it's very very difficult to understand but for her pouring her life out for the poorest of the poor you know spending herself till it hurt that she had a deep abiding joy in that mm -hmm. and so if we want to talk about how we should be at mass. You know, I'd rather talk about joy. I'd rather talk about a deep abiding peace and spiritual state than happiness or sadness or boredom or all these kind mm -hmm. of things. That interior participation, it's really, it's really about attention. Mm -hmm. It's about a refocusing of the being mind present. and heart and soul, being present. Mm -hmm. That's right. And you can be present with someone. I mean, some of my fondest memories, maybe to put it strangely, but have been moments where I'm really present with a friend mm -hmm. or a family member, and maybe maybe we're both heartbroken, mm -hmm. right? But there's there's a moment in which, you know, we're bearing that pain together, mm -hmm. and like we know we have each other. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd call that, in retrospect, I'd call that joy. Mm -hmm. Like a deep mm -hmm. abiding peace, you know, uh, well, the, the priest who I was talking to says it's kind of, it joys about an encounter with the other, mm -hmm. right? An encounter with the other in which we are totally body and soul, you know, delighted or mm -hmm. enchanted. Which is another um, way of saying you're seeing God in another. That's and, right. And that we yeah. God is, God. God, mm -hmm. is yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, God is present. God is present. Right. And that's not, it's, if you experience that, it's not a roller coaster. It's not skydiving. It's. It's that deep abiding peace. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you think that this means for church musicians and other people who are making decisions about the music that we have in church? Because like if, if you're a lay person who just comes up and shows up at a service, yes, you should be um, you should be present, you should be actively participating, mm -hmm. but you aren't necessarily making decisions about what's actually happening. Yeah. You aren't leading the way. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we sit in a funny spot, you know, because we're our music making is a liturgical action um but it's one that doesn't one that doesn't occur directly in the sanctuary you know mm -hmm. for for a catholic anyhow and i mean it's so easy <laughs> it's so easy to get into a gig mentality right like you're in the loft and you've got your phone there and you're off to the next mass after this particular mm -hmm. mass and mm -hmm. you you know well, especially and, if you're a catholic musician you're like <gasps> 
one down, four more to go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's I have, right. That's I talked right. to Protestant musicians who are like, I would never leave during the sermon. And then I talked to Catholic musicians that are like, there's only so many versions of the same sermon I can handle. <laughs> Well, which, I t- and, which I can totally understand. I'm like, yeah, and I, when I can you're, see that. when you're overworked, as many mm-hmm. are, it's mm-hmm. like, look, I, I need the sermon to go outside and, and make this phone call to make sure this organist is... to coordinate is... the next thing. And exactly. To... Yeah. It's yeah. it's not irreverence. It's just sort of, I need to do what y'all no, want it's, me it's to a, do. It's a, it's a pragmatic, <laughs> this is... This is... I know. So, so yeah. there's always, this is why I'm a big believer. We live believer. in the world. <laughs> we live in the world. And I'm a big believer in choir lofts for this reason, because there's a lot of housekeeping. There, there's page turns and, oh my gosh, where'd that book go? Uh-huh. And you're diving for oh, yeah. it. And <laughs> I, had, I, had, I am. The, the Catholic Church where I work, I'm up at the front. I'm extremely visible. And I'm yeah. also cantering as I'm playing. But, um, you know, I, I had laryngitis this spring. And uh, here I am with, like, it looks like a coffee mug, but there's, you know, there's water in it because I need to not, like, dive a coffee bit. But, like, afterwards, like, everyone had been so distracted they're like oh what did you bring with you to mass and i'm just like yeah you know it's water in there <laughs> but it's like it you know what, what, like it's like what can i what can i do you know? <laughs> i know i know I, i've been there for yeah. sure um but i mean for a while for a while it seemed that the recommendation was well, we'll go to another mass like do your play your five masses right and then go to the the seven o'clock sunday mass where you can really be present so you can be present while someone else is doing the music is what you're thinking. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't have, and I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, fallen creature that I am, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. I'm interiorly critical of whoever's doing the music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe in some circumstances that is the right thing to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially families. It's like, well, we, you know, we want to go together or, mm-hmm. or what oh, have yeah. you. Yeah. I know church musicians who will go together with. Yeah. Family. Like, okay. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the best advice I received on it was from a, a religious sister I knew in Washington, D.C., and she said, you're participating in Mass. Mm-hmm. It's a different participation mm-hmm. than what everyone else is doing, mm-hmm. but you're participating in Mass. I feel like that we're also participating outside of the service in that, like, you know, I'm, I'm practicing hymns, and I'm, I, I don't usually sing while I'm That's playing right. during the service, but I will yeah. often sing as I'm practicing for a service. That's right. And it's like, that is itself a devotional practice. No, absolutely. It, it. I mean, a great joy for me of being a musician is that I get to consider the liturgical texts, you know, at least a week before mm-hmm. the actual And you're liturgy. often like so, reading lectionary readings from a very, um, not the, the word isn't critical. You're reading the lectionary readings from a very uh, connected sort of way. And absolutely. That you are and making integrated. connections to not just your life, but the life of the congregation as you're selecting music. That's right. That, that's right. And so you kind of pray it, you know, in your mm-hmm. way, practicing and, and mm-hmm. you think about it. You're kind of praying it that whole week. And then it's it's a it's a kind of summit when you finally get to play. I picked a, and sometimes you're surprised. Like this week I picked the hymn, because I, we never do this hymn, and I love it, Come Christians, Join to Sing. Yeah, it's a Spanish melody, which is unusual, oh, you know, and interesting. It, the tune is Madrid, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Spanish. I can't believe I know yeah. that. I never know tune <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got it, yeah. And one of the verses is speaking of Christ, and he is our guide and friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the whole homily that day was from a young deacon who talked about 
Christ is our friend. Mm -hmm. Like we should aim to have like have the same likes and the same dislikes as as Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Like as as friends share likes. That's me when I'm I'm talking to uh, Protestant friends about uh, Virgin Mary, and I'm like, well, Jesus loved her, so I'm allowed to love her. So you know, exactly. Yeah, right. (laughs) I want to have the mind of Christ. I'm allowed to love Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, But anyway, I had been, you know, I'd pick the hymn. You know, thinking like, okay, this is Alleluia, Amen. This is a good way to mm-hmm. con- to get towards the end of the Easter season. But then delighted to see the connection back to what our deacon had to say about the gospel. Um, so it was like, it, I mean, that's the Holy Spirit surprising you, you mm-hmm. know, with the mm-hmm. the inscrutable riches. But of But you liturgy. also doing the work ahead of time and like exactly. showing up, so to speak. Exactly. You, you just yes. It in. Yes. Yeah. And when you when you do the work ahead of time, you can be delighted mm-hmm. by those surprises. Mm-hmm. Really, um, it's it's so much more enjoyable when you've practiced. Mm-hmm. I just have to say, when you what do you what do you think this means in terms of a really? This is kind of a basic kind of banal question, but like in terms of you're in charge of selecting the congregational hymns and the mass setting. So you like you are the musician or whatever leader who is selecting the music that the congregation will be hopefully actively participating in mm-hmm. well i mean a musician always has to be mindful of that right mm-hmm. so it's like you you have all these moving parts you're first consulting the text of the the liturgy itself for okay what what music can i now pick that's appropriate or mm-hmm. what music contains these texts uh and then you have to ask the question okay does the congregation know this mm-hmm. like can they sing it uh, can my choir sing this? So there's always that element of taking into account the place your congregation is in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, maybe more lighthearted moments where it's like, oh, everybody loves this hymn, mm-hmm. you know, and this is such a special occasion. Let's sing this hymn because mm-hmm. they'll they'll really raise the roof, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when we sing it as the, the recessional. So in that in that practical sense, you're wondering about, okay, can they will they be delighted to interiorly interiorly participate in it and then exteriorly participate in it by actually singing? Like, Mm -hmm. do they know it? Are Mm -hmm. they ready for it? Um, It's not the only criterion. Uh, I can't emphasize that enough. It's, it's, that's not the only criterion. The liturgy itself is the first criterion, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you definitely are making these decisions with the the prayer and participation of the faithful in mind. I have, at this little church where I where I work, I um, when I started at the job, I had no idea particularly what the congregation knew, and I didn't have any guidance on that. I had like, you know, here's my gather comprehensive, oh boy, and <laughs> and here's my lectionary readings. Go forth and choose music. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like I've I've over the last year, I figured out some of the songs that well, I know the congregation will know that, um, and so I try to always have at least one of those. But if I restricted myself to only those, well, we would be singing like 10 or 15 times. Yeah, this is a little yeah. bitty church, and it's very, uh, I, I would say, like a stereotype of a Catholic church in that, like, you know, there might be 50 people there, but I only see, like, a few of them who are, seem to be really engaged with the music, um, like, in terms of singing mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. that that exterior thing. But but at the same time, it's like I'm not only going to choose the hymns that I know that they're going to sing because I feel like it's also my obligation to interact with the lectionary readings. And if, yeah. if they're after... Hopefully, if their active participation means listening to me and maybe a couple other people sing, yeah. or just reading the hymn text, mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, making that connection for themselves, mm-hmm. I feel like well, that's that's all that I can do at a certain point, given that's that right. I am, you know, the most part-time of part-time musicians in this parish. Like, that's I, right. I don't have a capacity to do more teaching outside of the service. The the possibilities are finite in a certain mm-hmm. sense. Very finite for sure. In this particular for sure. 
Um, well, here, here's another thought about music and participation. So I don't know if you've read the book, Why Catholics Can't Sing. I've read it. Yeah, no, but I haven't You read should it. read it. It's oh, a, I'll link to that screen. in the show notes. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, 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 it's a blast. Uh, but Thomas Day makes the very good point. He said, the best singing I've heard Catholics do is the singing they do when it's serving a function and a purpose. For example, some of the best Catholic singing I've heard is when the congregation is responding to a priest saying, the Lord be with you right, and with your spirit. It's mm-hmm. They usually sing that very well. Mm-hmm. They also sing. And you also can get sing, the little kids to sing that one. That's right. It happens every Sunday. It's in, yep. it's in the, the subconscious mm-hmm. and consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the Our Father, mm-hmm. they'll sing very well usually. Mm-hmm. Somehow, every Catholic parish I've been to, when I intone, on you stay, everybody can sing it in Latin. Mm-hmm. Somehow it's mm-hmm. it's there in everybody's mm-hmm. mind. Yeah. But they know they're, okay, it's it's time to sing this part of the Mass. I'm mm-hmm. fulfilling a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I call it a universal identity. I don't know. But Catholics respond so much better mm-hmm. to that kind of, okay, it's, it's now our duty mm-hmm. to sing this part than the, make a joyful noise, look wonderful, mm-hmm. sing this hymn and mm-hmm. delight the Lord with the dulcet tones of your voice, you know, <laughs> that, that everyone just yeah. kind of oh. shuts down, yeah. my I experience. Think, I think that there's also this very real historical element of, like, how do you learn to be a quote-unquote good singer in your mm-hmm. crib? Like, like that, <laughs> I'm serious, like, that's, that's where you even learn to, from the very earliest of childhood, that's where you make... Uh, make a sacred singing part of your life. Like this is, it has mm-hmm. to start so early for it to be like part of your life. Well, this is what we do. So if you're thinking of this in terms of, okay, we, we started off by talking about, is it Pius the 10th? Pius the 10th. Yeah. We're, we started talking about Pius the 10th. That is in 1903. Mm-hmm. So this is barely over a hundred years thinking about this act of participation. And that is not a lot of generations of internalizing and living out congregational singing. Yeah, and and I'm I'm thinking this specifically of I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I heard an interview that Carrie Allen Tipton did on the Notes on Bach podcast about Lutheran singing back in the 1500s, That's and right. apparently was pretty bad. And now today, I mean, I've worked in a Lutheran parish and have had the great joy of working with Lutheran musicians. So they're like, hymn singing is our thing, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But that's you know, historically speaking, that's hundreds of years of yeah. little kids growing up being like, this is the normal thing. Of course we sing. This is this is what we do in church. So if you're thinking about this from a Catholic perspective, like, that's not very many generations for that to that's, be, like, normalized. That's you know? right. Um, you know, that that's a really good point. I mean, from the 8th, 9th century in the church in Rome, the Catholic Church has the tradition of the Scola Cantorum. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. a group of singers who are providing the music for mm-hmm. Mass. Mm-hmm. And not that you now, can't actively participate in the listening of that. No, no. That I don't want to like, vital... rain on that parade. Like, I, I, I do mean, think that's important. Listening is a, is a vital part of our participation in the Mass. Mm-hmm. I also can't yeah. emphasize that enough. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we have the ordinaries, the chant ordinaries of the Mass coming from the 13th century, and those are obviously simpler. Mm-hmm. And one looks at them and says it looks like congregational singing was intended with these. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say Catholics never sang. Yeah, yeah, right? and I, I didn't mean to apply um, that. That's yeah. right. Um, but there's also a tra- tradition of them not singing mm-hmm. at parts of the liturgy where a Lutheran parish would be singing, would be yeah. singing yeah. right? And so with, I mean, what you often have now is a hymn sandwich in Catholic churches. It's like hymn and open, opening. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of imposing a structure. And you've structure. got your cantor going during communion, and you may join in if you, if you Yeah. 
Um, but having a cancer at the front, you know, enthusiastically bringing everybody in on, um, you know, oh God, our help in ages past or something. It's like, okay, first off, let's all agree this isn't particularly Catholic, right? <laughs> like this that's, is <laughs> that's a great, that's a great hymn. But it's also not a yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and one of the, I mean, to me, one of the beautiful things uh, about this time, especially after the the um, papacy of Benedict the Sixteenth is a revival of the the proper chants mm-hmm. and proper antiphons. We see composition of more and more propers in the vernacular. So we mm-hmm. see English propers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Some places congregations are singing those well, mm-hmm. some not so well, but you'll have a choir that, that picks it up and, mm-hmm. and people participate by mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. internally, right? Yeah. Um, and to me, I feel that's much more continuous uh, mm-hmm. Which is what the Second Vatican Council, you know, is mm-hmm. continuous with what came yeah. before it. Yeah. To me, those propers are much more continuous with what was going on before, and we'll see. Also, a a, a really fruitful point of entry, I feel, is teaching a congregation in ordinary, um, because, wow. like I said, they've always been there and probably intended for congregational singing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, a beautiful play, a beautiful part of the mass where everyone can sing with full heart and mm-hmm. voice, right? And mm-hmm. your choir can take care of other parts. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the documents of Vatican II, Musicum Sacrum, uh, the instruction the instruction on sacred music, you know, said the, the ordinaries are there for the people to learn. Like, congregations should be able to chant the ordinary together, mm-hmm. right? This and the is, ordinary would be, like, just for, for all of our listeners, mm-hmm. that would be, like, the Agnus Dei. That would be... The Sanctus. Yeah. The parts of the Mass that don't change yeah. from Mass to Mass that are always there. And that's, and that's something that happens in a lot of like even ma- mainline denominations. I was um, talking with one parish where they're like, well, we know the doxology really, really well. And I was like, well, Sanctus is your next one. Yeah. You learn one Sanctus and you learn it really, really well. Yeah. That's your next job. <laughs> right. Which, yeah. and, but cause, cause it is like, if you, if you can sing one thing, well, well you can sing another thing and it might take you a long time to get really solid on that, but mm-hmm. there's, there's your next thing. And so there, there you have it. Like there's your ordinary and you want to sing that. That's right. Really well. That's right. And I mean, lo and behold, it's practical. It's like mm-hmm. you're going to be singing this every single time, mm-hmm. and it's not going to change. And this is something we can do well. The little brothers and sisters in the church, the children, that's something that if they hear every week, they don't that's have to right. be able to read it. That's you know, right. With very hymn- good. Hymnody, yeah. like much as I love hymnody, at the end of the day, that's really hard for children to participate in. You're right. Because, you know, they don't have the reading you're skills right. to participate. So. so the so the dialogues of the mass, which in in our instructions have priority the lord be with you and with your spirit don't change Mm -hmm. the ordinary doesn't change Mm -hmm. these are all we should be hitting these hard Mm -hmm. these Mm -hmm. these are Mm -hmm. spots where we should be getting the congregation to pray the missal and and to 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 pray and sing the missal Mm -hmm. um the the dialogues the ordinary Mm -hmm. you know these are all things we can do and do really well Do you have anything else particular that you want to talk about? I know you had you had something about like an anecdote about cantering, which I'm just kind of curious about. But was there anything else in there? Particular <laughs> that you no, to I mean it's just when it comes to the patheticness of Catholic singing, like there's no better place to witness it than as a cantor. First of all, you're probably forced to do one of those really really enthusiastic hand gestures like everybody sing oh. with me well, now. My, my enthusiastic hand gestures are like look i'm playing on the piano yep and singing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing on the organ. you can't even see my hands <laughs> but it's it's really anticlimactic when you're met with bored stares and glazed over eyes and people thumbing through the bulletin it's like yeah yeah i can't get you oh, guys that's to hard. sing. that's hard <laughs> but yeah. i mean i'm i mean this is this can now be my platform for 
railing against the idea of the cantor. I mean, that sounds really harsh, but Thomas Day in Why Catholics Can't Sing also argues there's nothing worse for congregational singing than having a really strong voice singing into a microphone at the people. It's really true. Like, yeah. put a choir choir in the loft, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that will get the, the congregation mm -hmm. singing. Especially I love... if it's in the loft, because it's from behind them, and it's yes. moving them forward. One thing I yeah. love about, about my parish is that the responsorial psalm, the cantor intones it from the front, but they don't do any hand gestures. Mm -hmm. What happens is that the choir stands and sings the responsorial psalm with the congregation, Wonderful. and that gets them singing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, much more than any any way uh, waving away. I, I feel like one one of the recurring things in our conversation has been that emotion has to have a lot of um, foundation to it, and you can have all the exuberant hand gestures in the world and all the smiley faces, but if your congregation doesn't know the setting, they're not going to be able to sing it. Yeah, that's right. And most people aren't exactly skilled enough sight readers to just be like, oh. There's a lot. I mean, this you know? is this is why uh, you're right. We have to understand emotion is just one part of it. A lot of discipline and hard work goes into it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why it's an oblation. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you, you have to put in the time, like for anything, like for playing the organ, like for being really good at your job, like with learning to read. Like mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there can be some drudgery there. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're adults and we know we, that that's how... That's how the best things in life work. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Thank this you, has Sarah. Been really great. Yeah. Thanks to Dr. Mary Catherine Lovery for this conversation today. You can find links to the resources she mentions in the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash 25. You can also get in touch through the Music and the Church website, musicandthechurch.com, or by email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com, and you can get our monthly newsletter, musicandthechurch.com slash sign up. I'm Sarah Bariza, and I'll be back next week with another episode of Music and the Church.